0: I'm Dr. Percy Weeks, and you're listening to the Bow Street Society Podcast.
1: Hello, and welcome to our December bonus podcast. I am award-winning writer, T.G. Campbell, author of the Bow Street Society Mystery and Casebook Series.
0: And I am Bow Street Society enthusiast and hobby writer Richard A. Boxhaw. So, why are we here today? We're not going to do a Holborn Herald or the usual regular features, as this is an extra episode.
1: We are here today to celebrate the launch of the new Bow Street Society casebook, The Case of the Fearful Father and Other Stories. This is released today on Amazon as an ebook. See the link in the show notes or search for The Case of the Fearful Father.
0: And it will shortly be available as a paperback. Indeed, it may already be, but we've had to record this a few days in advance. Uh, so how, what are we going to do to mark this moment?
1: So basically what I've launched today is a Christmas giveaway in which um, people who subscribe to the Gaslight Gazette newsletter through the website will get the opportunity to be put into a drawer to win a paperback copy of the first five books in the series. So that is The Case of the Curious Client, The Case of the Lonesome Washington, the case of the Spectral Shot, the case of Toxic Tonic, and the case of the Maxwell Murder that was released this year. So there will be signed copies. They will also get a calendar for 2022, which features illustrations from the covers of the books. That includes also the two illustrations from the standalone case of the Winchester Wife and the case of the Paris Pet when they were originally released as a standalone eBooks, and also some votive society pens.
0: I was wondering, because I was doing the maths and I was trying to work out where the extra two covers came from. So I know know there's 12 months in the year, I'm clever like that. And I know five case books and five mysteries and I was thinking well that's ten where are the other gonna where are the other two gonna come from so that's brilliant so you've answered my question that I never got as far as asking um we're also doing something else aren't we today
1: yes so what I normally do with whenever I release a collection of short stories is I normally do an ambient reading with sound effects um for my youtube channel but this month as a special treat Richard has agreed to perform the ambient reading of the case the mastermind Moss, and here it is so enjoy Hello, I'm
0: Mr. Joseph Maxwell and you're listening to the Bow Street Society Podcast.
1: Uh, uh,
0: sorry. Miss Rebecca Trent set the teapot down upon the low table in front of the fire and passed the teacup and saucer to Mr Patrick Atwater sitting diagonally opposite her on the sofa. He was in his early fifties, approximately five feet nine inches tall and of lean build. The manicured nature of his unblemished hands was echoed in the neatness of his dark grey eyebrows, handlebar moustache and short hair. He wore the conservative attire of a plain black frock coat with matching waistcoat, cravat and trousers beneath. The chain of his pocket watch glinted in the firelight, thus hinting at its high gold content. She was attired in high-waisted straight-lined dark brown skirts with a wide leather silver buckled belt and a high-necked long-sleeved cream blouse with a lace overlay. Her chestnut brown corkscrew ringlets were pinned back from her face but otherwise permitted to hang loose about her shoulders. Although younger than Mr. Atwater by almost thirty years, her impeccable posture and formal demeanour meant she dominated the meeting by her presence alone. Thank you for coming at such short notice, gentlemen, Miss Trent said, addressing Mr. Gregory Elliot and Mr. Joseph Maxwell, who sat beside Mr. Atwater. Mr. Elliot was identical to Miss Trent in age at twenty eight years, whilst Mr. Maxwell was the youngest at twenty one. Both were fair-complexioned, but whilst Mr Maxwell's gave him a pallid appearance, Mr Elliot appeared almost translucent in the firelight. Mr Elliot's dark brown hair was short and loosely combed, whilst Mr Maxwell's dark auburn hair was combed into a left-hand side parting upon his head. Both Mr Elliot's green-brown eyes and Mr Maxwell's green regarded Miss Trent with the utmost respect as they too were given their teacups and accompanying saucers. Allowing him to warm his palms as he blew across the surface of the mahogany-coloured liquid within, Mr Maxwell took a tentative sip. Replacing the cup upon its saucer, he brought the sugar bowl closer and scooped some into his tea as Mr Elliot replied to Miss Trent in a monotone, I am always happy to help the Bow Street Society. He turned to their client. Miss Trent's note to us gave us a summary of your case, but a few questions remain in my mind. The theft concerns a valuable 14th century vase. When was it stolen precisely? The 15th, Mr Atwater replied, and the advertisement stating that it had been found appeared in the Gaslight Gazette two days later on the 17th. He looked to Mr Maxwell's cup as the latter, enthralled by the conversation, had continued to spoon sugar into his teacup. Following Mr Atwater's gaze, Mr Maxwell realised what he'd been doing and frowned. Oh dear, Mr Maxwell muttered. Taking a sip, he winced at the sweetness and set the teacup and saucer down upon the table. Wiping the excess sugar from his lips with his handkerchief, he inquired, What did the advertisement say? I have it here, Mr Atwater said as he reached into his frock coat. Taking out a folded piece of paper, he then put on a pair of spectacles and read aloud found an early 14th century Chinese stoneware vase of ancient bronze form with a flaring mouth and two tubular handles, seeking to reunite vase with rightful owner. Inquiries to be made in writing to Mr Arnold Moss, courtesy of the Gaslight Gazette, Fleet Street, London. Genuine inquiries only. I don't know anyone of that name among the newspaper's employees, Mr Maxwell said as he opened his notebook, took out a pencil and wrote down the name. And I've been a journalist there for almost four years now. He tapped his chin with his pencil, although advertisers have been known to use the office for their correspondence to protect their privacy. On the morning of the 11th, four days prior to the theft of my vase, I found another advertisement in the Gaslight Gazette. Mr Atwater removed his spectacles. Unfortunately, my housekeeper had disposed of the newspaper by the time I realised the advertisement's significance. However, it was titled Room for Rent and had my address beneath. Again, inquiries were to be made to Mr Arnold Moss, courtesy of the Gaslight Gazette office on Fleet Street. I have never rented a room in my house, and I never will. Did you contact the newspaper about that advertisement? Mr Maxwell inquired. Yes, I visited the offices myself. The man behind the counter apologized and told me the house number on the room for rent advertisement was a misprint, Mr Atwater replied. Did you speak to Mr Gilbert Berry? Mr Maxwell inquired. A short man with a balding head and round spectacles. He is in his late fifties. He is the head printer of the newspaper. Possibly, mister Atwater replied, furrowing his brow. I did not inquire after his name. Have you responded to the second advertisement? mister Elliot inquired. ''I have,'' Mr Atwater replied, and I promptly received a reply in the post the following morning. ''The scoundrel is demanding monies for the safe return of my property. You are a lawyer. What do you intend to do about this blatant premeditated theft of my property?'' ''Tell me your reasons for believing it was premeditated,'' Mr Elliot stated. On the ninth of this month, two days before I read the Room for Rent advertisement, an antiques dealer by the name of Mr Windsor Hodges came to my home and valued the vase. The fact the Room for Rent advertisement appeared in the newspaper followed swiftly by the theft, and then the found advertisement, mere days after Mr Hodges' visit, tells me he is this Mr Arnold Moss. Mr Arnold Moss being a disguised form of anonymous, of course, Mr Maxwell interjected. Mr Atwater, Mr Elliot, and Miss Trent stared at him. Yes, Mr Atwater began. I had not realized that. Mr Elliot cleared his throat and inquired from Mr Atwater, who arranged the initial meeting with Mr Hodges at your home? I did, Mr Atwater replied. I intend to have the vase insured. Did you show the found advertisement to Mr Hodges? Mr Maxwell inquired. I did not have to. He called at my home the morning it was printed with a copy of the newspaper in his hand, Mr Atwater replied. He expressed his condolences at my loss and urged me to do all within my power to get my property back. When I later received the demand for payment, I brought it to Mr Hodges' attention and he expressed relief the thief had only asked for half the vase's true value. Does Mr Hodges know you have an appointment with the Bow Street Society this morning? Mr Maxwell inquired. "'Why would I inform him of that when I suspect him of being the thief?' Mr Atwater scolded. "'Sorry,' Mr Maxwell mumbled, feeling his cheeks growing hot. "'And what was Mr Hodge's recommendation regarding the ransom?' Mr Elliot inquired. "'To write to Mr Arnold Moss, as instructed in the found advertisement, "'to request instructions for the delivery of the ransom monies to the thief,' Mr Atwater replied. "'If Mr Hodges is Mr Moss, there is a way we can be sure,' Mr Maxwell said. "'If you write to Mr Arnold Moss, courtesy of the Gaslight Gazette offices, as instructed, and describe Mr Hodges to me, I can watch the front desk to see if Mr Hodges collects your letter.' "'And I shall intercept him when he leaves,' Mr Elliot stated. Mr Atwater rubbed his chin as he considered the proposal. "'Yes,' he mused aloud. "'Yes, I think that could work.' He shook Mr Elliot and Mr Maxwell's hands. Thank you gentlemen. The din of typewriters, scraping chairs, ringing telephones and ceaseless conversation filled the first floor office of the Gaslight Gazette. A set of steep stairs in the room's far right led to the immense printing presses on the ground floor. A third of the way into this open space was a high wooden counter that cut the space in half. Its hatch was on the end closest to the foot of the stairs. Beyond this counter was the door leading outside onto Fleet Street. Parked on the opposite side of the cobbled street was the Bow Street Society's handsome cab driven by Mr Sam Snyder. Sitting within was Mr Gregory Elliott, who kept a close eye on the Gaslight Gazette building. The chaos of London traffic, overcrowded omnibuses, laden down vans, private carriages and innumerable cabs flowed past them in both directions. Pedestrians, seemingly unaware of the dangers posed to their person, wandered among the vehicles as if they were taking a stroll in the park. Although the day was cold, there wasn't a cloud in the sky, and the street was filled with bright light by the low-hanging winter sun. Back inside the Gaslight Gazette building, Mr Maxwell sat on a step two-thirds of the way up the staircase. Keeping his body bent to hide behind the adjacent wall, he referred to Mr Windsor Hodge's description in his notebook whenever someone entered and spoke to Mr Gilbert Berry behind the counter. As agreed, Mr. Atwater had hand delivered his response to the ransom demand that lunchtime, the envelope of which was deposited into a pigeonhole to the counter's right by Mr. Berry. Yet, despite Mr. Berry having several customers discuss the placement of advertisements in the newspaper, none had matched Mr. Hodge's description or collected Mr. Atwater's envelope. Mr. Maxwell checked his pocket watch and sighed. Three hours had passed already. Good afternoon. A nasally sounding voice greeted. Peering around the wall, Mr. Maxwell saw a man of approximately five feet with a pointed nose, chin, and cheekbones. In his 40s, he had a pale pink complexion, mousy brown hair swept backward beneath a black bowler hat, and ice blue eyes. Much of his form was hidden by a shin length dark green overcoat. In his right hand was the silver handle of an ebony cane, whilst his left held out a business card. Mr. Berry accepted and squinted at the card. I believe you have a letter for me? The newcomer inquired. Indeed, I do, sir. Mr. Berry replied, shuffling over to the pigeonholes. One moment, please. The newcomer glanced over his shoulder, prompting Mr. Maxwell to throw himself back out of sight. Almost losing his balance in the process, he gripped a step and took several deep breaths to steady his nerves. Peering around the wall once more, he watched as Mr Berry handed the envelope to the newcomer who thanked him and left. Remembering Mr Hodges' description in his notebook, Mr Maxwell scanned its few lines and hissed, It's him! Meanwhile, Mr Elliot had recognised Mr Hodges from his description the moment he had emerged. Meeting Mr Snyder's gaze through the small hole in the cab's roof, he said, There is our man. I will attempt to intercept him, but we may have to depart quickly should he flee. Mr Snyder nodded with a touch of his hat's broad brim. Alighting from the vehicle, Mr Elliot kept his eyes upon Mr Hodges as he crossed the street. Upon seeing he was reading the letter, Mr Elliot stepped onto the pavement and plucked it from his fingers. ''I say, what the devil are you doing?'' Mr Hodges cried as he turned sharply toward him. Attempting to snatch the letter back, he added, ''Give that here.'' Mr Elliot stepped beyond his reach though and studied the contents of the letter... Noting the instructions for the delivery of the ransom monies, he then saw Mr Arnold Moss's signature at the letter's end. ''Where did you get this, Mr Hodges?'' Mr Elliot inquired, as Mr Maxwell emerged from the Gaslight Gazette building. ''I... say, how do you know my name?'' Mr Hodges inquired, stunned. ''He collected it from Mr Berry,'' Mr Maxwell interjected. ''Did anyone else collect a letter from Mr Berry?'' Mr Elliot inquired. ''No. Why?'' Mr Maxwell inquired in return.'' "'This is not Mr Atwater's letter, but one from Mr Arnold Moss himself,' Mr Elliot stated, "'turning the letter around for Mr Maxwell to see. "'It is also a private correspondent intended for my eyes alone,' Mr Hodges said, "'attempting but failing to snatch the letter once more. "'Please return it.' "'But I... I don't understand,' Mr Maxwell said, scratching his head. "'No one else collected a letter, I swear. I believe you.' I also believe I am beginning to see the true nature of things, Mr Elliot said. There is more yet to discover, though. Mr Hodges, unless you wish to accompany us to the police to explain why you were collecting instructions for the delivery of ransom monies in exchange for a stolen vase, I recommend you come with us to the Bow Street Society's headquarters. You may then give your explanation to us before writing a letter to Mr Arnold Moss under my instruction. Where? Mr Hodges inquired with a squinting of his eyes. Glancing between them, he demanded, "'Who are you, men?' "'Members of the Bow Street Society, "'a group of law-abiding men and women "'dedicated to ensuring justice may be accessed by all,' "'Mr Elliot replied. "'Currently, we are acting on behalf of a customer of yours "'whose vase is the subject of this letter.' Mr Hodges' features drooped as he said, "'Oh, I see.' "'He looked between them once more. "'In that case, please lead the way.' Mr Elliot and Mr Maxwell exchanged cautious glances before the former took a firm hold of Mr Hodge's left arm and the latter took hold of his right. Between them, they led him back across the street and into Mr Snyder's cab. Small beads of sweat formed upon Mr Hodges' forehead as his gaze remained fixed upon Inspector John Conway's dark blue eyes. The grizzled policeman stood over him as Mr Hodges perched upon the sofa in the Bow Street Society's parlour. In his early forties, Inspector Conway's weathered complexion made him appear older. Almost six feet tall and well built, his shadow covered the entirety of the antique dealer's form. His attire consisted of a dark grey waistcoat with a light blue pinstripe, a light blue tie, white shirt with starched Eton collar and black trousers. His well-maintained beard and moustache also matched the dark red of his hair. Please don't intimidate our witness, Inspector, Miss Trent warned as she gave Mr Hodges a cup of black tea. Witness? He's a criminal, Inspector Conway said in a rough East End of London accented voice. Nevertheless, he sat in the vacant armchair by the fire and continued, ''I don't like it. giving him room and board for two days. You should have given him to us.'' Mr Hodges balanced the teacup and saucer in one hand as his other hand wiped his brow with his handkerchief. ''I explained our reasons,'' Miss Trent said, comparing the time on a pocket watch to the time on the mantel clock. ''Mr Elliot and Mr Snyder should be here soon.'' inspector conway settled into the armchair and lighting a cigarette watched mr hodges through the cloud of smoke he exhaled mr hodges tucked his handkerchief into his pocket and lifting his cup to his lips mumbled i think i have been rather patient he took a sip all things considered what was that inspector conway challenged nothing mr hodges replied turning pale Hearing a knock upon the front door, Miss Trent cast a warning look to Inspector Conway and went to answer it. Returning a few minutes later, she announced, our guest is here. Moving to one side, she placed her hand upon her hip as a man in his early twenties with dirty, unkempt blond hair, a tanned complexion and a scrawny build entered. His attire consisted of a sun-bleached, dust-covered navy blue overcoat, thick brown cotton trousers, heavy, scuffed black boots, and an off-white shirt. Inspector Conway's eyes narrowed the moment he saw him. Kieran Skeets. When did they let you out of Newgate? Mr Skeets' face contorted into a scowl. To Mr Elliot, who entered the room behind him, he growled, You told me no coppers. I told you we would not take you to the police station, Mr Elliot clarified. Mr Conway stood as he inquired, What have you been up to this time, Skeets? Now, Mr Skeets replied Housebreaking, Mr Elliot corrected as he closed the door Mr Hodges, do you recognise this man? I have never seen him in my life Mr Hodges sneered with a lift of his nose The same question to you, Mr Skeets, Mr Elliot said Mr Skeets looked Mr Hodges over and replied Nah, never met him before Come off it, Inspector Conway scoffed He is telling the truth, Inspector, Miss Trent said. I was watching their faces when they saw one another. Neither showed any sign of recognising the other. The reality is the only connection between them is Mr Arnold Moss, Mr Elliot said. From Mr Skeets and Mr Hodges, he inquired, I trust you have both met him? It depends on your definition of meeting, Mr Hodges replied. I never saw his face. Our one and only meeting was in the darkened corner of a less than reputable public house. He was also whispering to disguise his voice. was the same for me, except it was in an alleyway we met,' Mr Skeets interjected. "'How did you come to meet him, then?' Inspector Conway inquired, finishing his cigarette and tossing the stub into the fire. "'By letter.' Mr Hodges replied Mr Moss wrote to me with a business proposition he said I could earn a little extra by appraising antiques in private residences and then informing him of their description of value and location he assured me all items would be with their rightful owners in the end I've got a note left on my bed at the Doss House Mr Skeets said offering me regular work for good pay Housebreaking Inspector Conway interjected A bloke's got to eat Mr Skeets retorted And Mr Moss told you to read the Gaslight Gazette for room-to-rent advertisements containing the addresses of Mr Hodges' unwitting clients? Mr Elliot inquired. I didn't know they was customers of anyone, Mr Skeets replied. I was just told to hand in a note to the Gaslight Gazette office whenever I saw one of them notices. The day after, I would find another note on my bed at the Doss house telling me what I ought to take and where I ought to leave it. I intercepted mister Skeets leaving the Gaslight Gazette building after mister Maxwell had witnessed him leaving a note with mister Berry, mister Elliot explained to the others. From both mister Skeets and mister Hodges, he inquired. "'How were you paid?' "'When my customer was ready to pay the ransom, "'I would receive instructions from Mr Moss regarding its delivery. "'It would usually be deposited at the Gaslight Gazette offices "'after I had taken a third for my share. "'Occasionally, though, I would have to leave the remainder of the ransom "'in a public house or some other unseemly establishment.' "'I'd get another note telling me to go back to the Gaslight Gazette office "'and ask for a letter from Mr Arnold Moss,' Mr Skeets replied. "'I'd then get an envelope with my share in it.' "'Wait a moment?' Inspector Conway began with a knitting of his brow. You're telling us neither of you is this Mr. Arnold Moss? Precisely, Mr. Elliot replied. Then who is? Inspector Conway inquired. And where's Mr. Maxwell if he was with you, Elliot? A knock sounded from the front door. I believe your answers have arrived, Mr. Elliot replied as Miss Trent left the parlour. The parlour door opened and Mr Maxwell entered. Seeing Inspector Conway, Mr Hodges, Mr Skeets and Mr Elliot looking at him, he cleared his throat and toyed with the small bow of his cravat. He said, ''Hello everyone, you're having a laugh, right?'' Inspector Conway inquired from Mr Elliot. ''Mr Maxwell is obviously not Mr Arnold Moss,'' Mr Elliot replied. ''Oh no,'' Mr Maxwell added, feeling his face warm. ''I have brought him with me though.'' Mr Maxwell stepped aside, and a short man in his late fifties with a balding head and round spectacles entered the room. "'But that's the bloke from the newspaper place,' Mr Skeets said, rising to his feet only to be forced back down by Inspector Conway's hand upon his shoulder. "'He's not Mr Moss.' By simple logic alone, he has to be, Mr Elliot replied. No one else, aside from Mr Atwater and Mr Hodges, handled Mr Atwater's letter. Yet, the letter given to Mr Hodges was written and signed by Mr Arnold Moss, not Mr Atwater. Turning toward the newcomer, he added, I believe you already know these two gentlemen, Mr Berry? Indeed, Mr Gilbert Berry replied to Mr Elliot in a warm, soft voice. To the others, he said... "'Mr Hodges, Mr Skeets, it is so good to finally meet you both in the daylight.' "'I say,' Mr Hodges said, flabbergasted, "'this is Inspector John Conway of Scotland Yard,' Mr Elliot introduced. "'Inspector, this is Mr Gilbert Berry, head printer at the Gaslight Gazette. "'Inspector,' Mr Berry greeted. "'To Mr Hodges and Mr Skeets he added, "'I would like to thank you for your efforts, gentlemen, "'and to tell you that there are no hard feelings.' Given the obvious predicament you have found yourselves in, your keenness to cooperate with both the police and the Bow Street Society is understandable. I have given you no reason to be loyal to me beyond money, and loyalty bought with gold is very fickle indeed. Still, it was a beautiful scheme whilst it lasted. You're mean to it then, Inspector Conway inquired, taken aback. ''Absolutely, Inspector,'' Mr Berry replied, ''although I cannot see what harm has been done. All the items were returned to their rightful owners in immaculate condition. I have even given Mr Maxwell Mr Atwater's vase.'' Mr Maxwell blinked and, hurrying into the hallway, returned a moment later with an object covered by some hessian sacking. Uncovering it, he revealed the early 14th century Chinese stoneware vase. He said, ''It was in a cupboard beneath the counter.'' "'You ransomed the items,' Mr Elliot pointed out to Mr Berry. "'After arranging for them to be stolen, his gaze shifted to Mr Hodges. "'And I suspect the amount paid in ransom was the true value of the object. "'You probably inflated the value so as to encourage the owners to pay the ransom. "'If they believed they were being given the better deal, "'they may not be so eager to report the theft or your possible involvement to the police.' "'although personally I find it hard to believe "'a thief who knows the true value of an object "'would ask for only half of its value.' "'Mr Hodges wiped the sweat from his brow "'with his handkerchief. "'Why?' Inspector Conway inquired from Mr Berry. "'The pay of a printer is not handsome,' Mr Berry replied. "'The additional income from the ransom "'allowed me to set aside some monies for my retirement. "'I am not getting any younger, you know. "'But how did someone like you know someone like Skeets?' "'Inspector Conway inquired. "'The journalists at the Gazette have innumerable informants, "'as Mr Maxwell will attest to,' Mr Berry replied. "'It was a simple matter of placing a couple of pounds into one of their hands "'to be given the name and last known location of an expert housebreaker.' "'Inspector Conway glared at Mr Maxwell. "'Oh, no, Inspector,' Mr Berry said with a soft chuckle. "'It was Mr Oswald Baldwin who gave me Mr Skeet's name. "'Now,' "'He cleaned his spectacles with his handkerchief. "'Shall we go? "'I am ready to give my statement to the police.' "'He looked to Mr Hodges and Mr Skeets. "'Neither of these gentlemen knew the other existed. "'They merely did what I said. "'They've got to come with us all the same, sir,' "'Inspector Conway said, "'taking hold of Mr Skeets' arm and pulling him to his feet. "'Can we use your cab, Miss Trent?' "'Of course,' Miss Trent replied. "'There is another waiting outside,' "'Mr Maxwell interjected. "'I will take that one.' Mr Elliot said At Inspector Conway's glare he said You did not think I would allow you to arrest these men without ensuring they had proper legal representation, did you? Inspector Conway muttered a few unsavoury words under his breath about the lawyer but then pushed Mr Skeets toward the door saying Better get a move on then, Elliot Mr Elliot's eyes hardened but he nonetheless bid Miss Trent and Mr Maxwell goodbye and followed the inspector and his prisoners to the waiting cabs at a brisk pace Once they were alone, Mr Maxwell released a loud sigh and said, You think you know someone. Mr Berry is the last person I would have suspected was a criminal mastermind. Which is undoubtedly why the scheme worked so well, Miss Trent replied, tidying away Mr Hodges' abandoned teacup and saucer. You have been listening to the Bow Street Society podcast. It was written and presented by T.G. Campbell and Richard A. Boxhaw.
1: Special thanks to all the contributors, including Sabrina Poole, Phil Rowe and Jaden Braniff. You can find out more
0: about the Bow Street Society series by T.G. Campbell at bowstreetsociety.com. You can also find out more through social media. Search for Bow Street Society on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. Thank you for listening. All podcast content is the intellectual property of T.G. Campbell.